Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. The Nepalese meditation bowl is chiming, and that means it is time for The Art of the CEO, the show for people who enjoy the challenge of business and who want to do it a little better. I'm your host, Bart Jackson, the Hieronymus Bosch of business, and whether you are an oyster farmer trying to brand his own first encounter oysters against the famous brands all around him like Josh, or a veteran supply chain manager trying to make new clients understand the process like Jan, we're here to bring you sage counsel from business masters to help your career and your business. Today's show is entitled Career Fulfillment, What You're Forgetting. Yes, we are going to chat today about you and just how really good you are and about getting away from our crazed obsession with success and raising our sights for something a little more lofty and a little more valuable, a career that is fulfilling and makes you rise each morning with a smile and eagerness. Now, impossible and fatuous? Not at all, because... Uh, before you all get pessimistic on me, it is our own good fortune to have one of the best pathfinders for career fulfillment, a man who has founded his way and one of the toughest careers on the planet, Mr. Keith Danko. Keith is a pioneer in a global hedge funds and asset-backed securities. He's a hardened veteran of Wall Street who has both maintained and actually employed his humanity in the uh, cutthroat money markets. He's held senior leadership positions in many of the investment giants. He's been in Goldman Sachs, where he rose to the rank of executive director and took the helm of their British office, transforming it into a major power. As CEO and CIO of ACAM Advisors, he took, and took hold of that firm and boosted its equity a mere 900%, which is not a handy, an unhandy margin. He was also CEO of uh, investment giant. Uh, in Britain, CQS. He's launched several investment firms, and the list goes on and on and on. Anyway, today, uh, as CEO of the firm he's most recently founded, Witherspoon Consulting Partners, he still sets investment funds on growth spurts with his consulting genius, but he also guides mid-sized firms to undreamed of expansion. Keith is able to do all of this because his skills in the market are exceeded only by his ability to pick the right people. He is a man people turn to to find that hidden potential within themselves, their firm, and to set their career on a growth spurt of its own. But before we solve all your career and life challenges, let me take a few minutes to supply you out there with a few utensils for this feast of wisdom. First, as I always do, Allow me to remind each of you individuals hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. That's the most important position you will hold in your career. Will this be the day that you take pause and recall one of those favorite activities that set your mind free and your heart full? And will you plan a repeat performance? Or will you just let memory slide into fantasy? The choice is truly yours. Secondly, it is time to dip into a little laughter and take a scriptural recitation from 101 Best Business Trips. Let me flip open the little volume here. Okay, hold on, hold on. Okay, here we go, here we go. This is number 66. 
I woke in the middle of a meeting to discover that they had voted me head of some backwater task force in Idaho. That's an actual true business nightmare, ladies and gentlemen. And as an afterthought, meetings, my friends, are the time to, well, they're showtime. So prepare and jot out an agenda. Somewhere between the coffee and stale bagels lies your opportunity to stretch our marvelous wisdom and take your marvelous abilities down a new avenue that's beneficial both to you and to the firm. So don't doze off. And as a third utensil, perhaps we'll call today's uh, utensil the Slizzled Fork, we will give you the answers to last week's business quotation. Now today, before we leave the air, we will broadcast another quotation, and we invite you to email us the name of the author, as you believe her or him to be. Simply write that uh, name to info, I-N-F-O, at bartsbooks.com, B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S.com. And if you're right, we will announce your name on the air, and we also have a small gift for you. The author of last week's quote was the individual who said, true friends in business stab you in the front. That man was none other than the playwright who wrote An Ideal Husband and many other gems, Mr. Oscar Wilde. So now, let us dig into today's feast and call upon the expertise of Wall Street Wizard, business consultant, and founder of a true career fulfillment philosophy, Mr. Keith Banco. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm good, Bart. Um, I enjoyed your uh, uh, your introduction and your uh, your quip. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, there's uh, nothing beats laughter. Keith, we've all heard it said that uh, most business folks walk on our feet, but Wall Streeters walk on their talents. Now, tell me, as a guy who's punched in and kind of shoulders his way up the ranks of this fast and furious world, are the folks that the, the people in investment banks, the gentlemen and ladies on the floor and in major brokerage houses, brokerage houses are they of a, a different breed? I mean, what, what sets them apart? Well, as far as, far as the talents, uh, I, I think there, there are um, elements like that in every industry, and certainly Wall Street has um, a higher percentage. Um, but I think Wall Street was, was never only all about the, the, the swashbuckling, aggressive, uh, uh, maybe too aggressive deal makers. Um, back in the pre-digital days, hundreds of thousands of operations people uh, who, who processed the mechanisms of the industry, closed out the trades, made sure that everything checked out at the end of the day, um, really were the heart and soul of the business uh, and still are to a certain extent in a, in a different way. Uh, but really, the, the qualities those people had, uh, above all, extremely hardworking, um, high integrity, and detail-oriented. It, it, it was and still remains an industry where mistakes really can't be made, miscalculations, uh, trades misprocessed. And, and that's really the – I've always felt that's what separated Wall Street, both amongst the, the deal-making professionals and amongst the – uh, largely blue-collar equivalent um, uh, people behind the scenes. Well, so it sounds like that uh, you're citing a mighty army here that, that carries all our money hopes forward. Can you, can you give us an example of uh, a couple of those folks? 
Sure. I mean, one of, one of my favorite stories back when I was starting in the business, I was working in uh, in corporate finance um, at a uh, at a firm called Kidder Peabody, just out of school. And as the low man on the totem pole, my job uh, on particular deals, uh, if I was on the team, was um, back then we had to actually have print shops that would print up our presentations. We didn't have powerpoints or computers and. This one time, I had to go to the printers all night to prepare a. It was a 300-page presentation to be delivered to the board of directors the next day. We had spent three months working on this. There were only five people uh, at, at, at Kidder Peabody who had any knowledge of the content. So I go to the printers around dinner time, give the documents to the printer, and then it was an all-night process. And my job was to proof the pages as they came off, make sure there were no typos, no errors and work with the printers all night. And the printers were these two older gentlemen, both of whom had been there at least 35 years, very grizzled, uh, every, everything you can imagine. Uh, this, uh, Ink in their veins, right? Ink in their veins, very calm, very calm guys, nice guys, never stopped working the whole night, though. They were, they were churning it through. So around um, uh, 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, and this, this particular presentation was about a very sensitive merger, and it was, as I said, about 300 pages, and the last four or five pages had all the summaries of all the valuations and the metrics and right. the, our advice to the board. But buried in the center of it were two or three pages of the crucial calculations in the valuation models. And I tell you that because around, around four or five in the morning, we're, we're almost getting done, and one of these older guys who they hadn't said much all night, they'd been very pleasant, and they were sort of passing me the galleys as they came out, and uh, one of these guys suddenly looks at me and goes, um, you know, kid, it always amazes me, you guys. You spend 300 pages putting something together, and really all you need to do is send them these two pages. And he opened the book and pointed right to those calculations. <laughs> he knew everything about what we were doing. It was just a fascinating connection of of, uh, of the deal makers with the people behind the scenes and everybody doing their best to make it happen. But he understood everything that was in that presentation. It was it was fascinating. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I don't normally I haven't normally found it this early in the show, but I think we have what I call a quill pen moment. There. So dip your pens in your inkwells and jot this down. When you're dealing with something, it's not a faceless, nameless product to be just shoved out and gotten out. These two guys looked at and took care in what they were doing and put and had their mind working all the time. May uh, may we all be uh, aware of that and take take that kind of care in what we produce. Um, Keith, that's, that's, that's fabulous. I love that. Uh, you said mistakes couldn't be made and on, on because of the disasters involved. Well, we have seen many <laughs> many mistakes made in Wall Street of late. Uh, send out armies in the streets to to rally against them. What uh, you you've been there? You were there. You were in Wall Street solid before. You were in the middle of it, and you've seen the after effects. You were a player all the way through. Could you give us your take on the crisis of 2008? Was it exceptional, or what brought it about? And was this some fluke that could never happen again? What do you think? Well, I think uh, there were several factors leading up to 2008, um, which, yeah. which caused the crisis. Number one, there was, a, there was a tremendous pressure to democratize Wall Street, to bring the advantages of wealth 
to all investors, all people. And that was really a 1990s concept. If you remember the Clinton years and, and the right. prosperity, it was, gee, how do we spread this out? It's a good notion, but there was pressure to democratize uh, Wall Street. Two, computers and technology allowed for extremely efficient accessing of capital, which was good. Mm-hmm. However, it did mean more complex securities, and those securities were being sold to a wider audience. So you have complexity to a wider audience. There's obviously going to be gaps right. in sophistication understanding. Um, another uh, issue. You're saying now sure. that, that because you were going to get to more people, you needed more and different kinds of instruments, and that led to uh, a sort of a teetering complexity and uh, throughout the, throughout the whole game, I guess, right? Well, sure. Complex securities being sold to uh, people who uh, may have understood them in the bigger sense, but may not have understood the specifics. And then there was pressure, of course, to bring home ownership to as many people as possible. That was a dominant theme. You combine, and, and then you layer on to all that, you layer on to all that, that massive amounts of money were to be made from all of those factors. And what a terrible recipe. And that's really what led up to the, to the crisis. And then the final blow, if you recall, the, the, the crisis occurred in the you know, fall of Lehman Brothers and those events of, of right. fall into winter 2008. Um, but the real final blow was the um, Bernie Madoff fraud. Because yes, right. that, threw, that threw the public a curveball because the public assumed that the smart insiders couldn't be fooled and would, would, not, would not fall into a trap like Madoff. But Madoff uh, right. dragged down a lot of insiders with him. A lot of people who were thought to be smart and sophisticated uh, were caught in the, in the Madoff web. And in my view, that was the real, real shock to the public that any remaining um, high confidence in Wall Street really dissipated after Madoff. Well, I think, I think you to a very large extent are right. Our, uh, we've had um, on the show and also uh, contributing to our books, Ana Enriquez, who is the Times reporter who wrote the definitive book on Bernie Madoff, who, by the way, still emails Diana from his prison cell in North Carolina. You can't make this stuff up. But I think that that sort of, I, I think you, what you, you really pinpointed it, that there was a lack of trust and a lack of, not just in the character, but in the actual expertise of the people who were supposed to be running the show and supposed to be handling our money well. And that's, that, I think, was one of the greatest shocks and traumas, right? Well, yeah, and the irony of that is that Wall Street now has probably never been more fraud-resistant and less operationally risky uh, because yeah, the yeah. amount of, of money and expertise has been poured into compliance and uh, IT support, uh, uh, IT security, those very same kinds of people who were detail-oriented, hard-working operations people 20 or 30 years ago actually now are compliance uh, and support people um, concentrating on making sure that uh, that fraud and checks and balances uh, are strong. So. Ironically, Wall Street has probably never been safer, but um, risk-taking is viewed negatively. The public is uncomfortable with it. Um, you know, ask any small business owner who's been looking for a bank loan or for financing. It's very difficult uh, to get financing. Capital is not getting where it should be as, as efficiently as it should. So it's, an, it's the pendulum is 
probably swung a little too far, and hopefully the public will get more comfortable uh, with Wall Street, gain a little bit more confidence, and, and we'll have a better financial system. Well, I, I think you're right. I think there is uh, that element of trust capital flows on it, and thus uh, the health of our businesses does, and that's very important. And it does indeed all come down to this human factor, which is something that you, within your own philosophy of individual career fulfillment of what one can get out of business, you bring that human element and the strength of the individual to that. And ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get to that. Uh, we're going to get through what all of this uh, tremendous uh, pressure of Wall Street and finance has brought in the face of one individual, Keith Sanko, what he has come up with, and we're kind of what you can follow on your uh, for your own career fulfillment as soon as uh, we return. I am loath to staunch this flow, but we have come to the midpoint of our feast, and so I'm going to invite us to take a brief survey. It is time for me to introduce to you the company by whose good graces we are here today. That firm is Prometheus Publishing, creator of Bart's Books Ultimate Business Guides, and you may visit Bart's Books um, Business Guides at www.bartsbooks.com. That's B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com. And you may explore a wide wealth of business tools there. Prometheus Publishing would like to invite you both, that invite everybody to take a look at two of the books. Number one is called The Joy of Work by international managerial consultant Dr. Stephen G. Payne, who guides you on becoming calm and connected by taking your spiritual self into the workplace for peace and profit. And another book, which we think could be very helpful to you, was one that uh, Keith Dago himself so graciously contributed. It's the excellent volume called The Art of the CEO, which has been described by the CEO of Gunter Media Group as, quote, one of the best leadership books I have ever read in my career. What are you waiting for? Enough said on that. Also, if you like today's business quip, be sure to visit bartsbooks.com and sign up to have those quips delivered uh, right to your door via the grace of cyberspace. Certainly, we could all use a little laughter each week. Ladies and gentlemen, and those who are very close to paying their debts, we are back with the very insightful Mr. Keith Danko. Keith, we talked before about, uh, we've been talking about career fulfillment, and here you are in one of the most cutthroat businesses, and you have sort of a key word that, that came out of this called manage the process. And I've heard you say this, and I'm, I'm wondering what kind of process you're talking about here. What is the, what is the process? I mean, is it like, is, you mean corporate policy or, or what? What are you talking about? Well, I think um, what, I, what I urge people to do, people, um, uh, ev- ev- all of us um, function within environments, whether it's work or, uh-huh. or, or whatever we do with our time, and around all of us are processes, the way things right. function, the way things proceed. And what, what I think it's important to do is to always try, try to step back and see and analyze what the actual process is that goes on around us. And if you do that, I think 
it makes for uh, a less distracted, less stressful, and, and much more productive way to, to be effective at, at your job or whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. I think that, I think I see what you mean, but I mean, sort of getting down to cases, um, let's say I'm uh, supposing I look around me and what I really see is that my boss is a jerk and he doesn't like me. What, what do I do? Is that a process? What do I do about that? Well, that that's part of the process, but you, rather than uh, be uh, overly affected by it or or overly obsessed about it, try to view it as part of the process. Uh, okay, my, it's not just that. Um, uh, not usually just that someone is a jerk. It's there's specific things that they do in their role in the process that might be problematic. So you you. Leave that off to the side, and you try to look within the process for more productive routes uh, to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. Um, you know, I can give a good example. Would that be helpful? Yeah. Uh, well, one example, and this is something that most most of our listeners have gone through, is the sale of their home. Um, and right, right. Uh, my wife okay. and I were, were were selling a home once, and the we the building inspector came, uh, as they do for the buyer, and inspected the whole house. He took a whole long time. And uh, two days later, we got a, um, I think it was a 17-page letter from the um, other side's attorney uh, demanding that we fix and repair um, 35, 40 items uh, in the house. Huge list. Ridiculous. Um, And and I'm I'm reading this letter, and I'm thinking, boy, this is just a ploy to try to get get us to lower our price. And I'm thinking, what is is he going to want, $30,000, $40,000? And I'm getting annoyed. And I'm in my head reaching the conclusion, well, I'm just going to have our attorney tell him, forget it. You know, you can take the house as it is, or you can go away. And that's what was going through my head. My wife, on the other hand, came back a few hours later with holding the letter in her hand and said, yeah. you know, I, I, I think we can do all this. And I said, well, what do you mean? What? She said, well, let me go to, let me tomorrow go to the hardware store, talk to some of the staff there, let me go to Home Depot, let me call a couple of contractors who've done some work for us in the past, and give me 24 hours to see if we can do all this. And um, after 24 hours... She came, back, she came back and said, yes, we can do it all. I said, well, how much do you think it will cost? She said, two, three thousand dollars Oh, well, that's, that's great. And we did. She said, it'll take a little bit of work. And, you know, I had to hold yeah, the brush and do, oh, do a sure. few other things. But but in, in a couple of weeks, we got everything done. And the buyer showed up at the, at the pre-walkthrough closing. And I think... I wasn't there, but I understand he was a little annoyed and frustrated. He couldn't find a single thing on his list. Exactly. And so we closed on the house at the full price. And I tell that story because it's a a classic manage the process. I was not managing the process. I was Uh being distracted. In in this case, the the boss who was a jerk was the other buyer or the other buyer's attorney, and I was looking at motivations and schemes behind the scenes and what what are they really uh, trying to do. And my wife just thought I was completely distracted and my wife and, and would have made an error. My wife just looked at the process. She said, oh, well, this is part of the process. The buyer does his inspection, and they hand you a letter. This is the things you have to fix. And she just went through them one by one by one by one and said, oh, we can do that. We can do this. We can do that. 
she never got distracted. So I, I tell that story. That's a that's a classic management uh, process, and 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 that's what I urge people. That's what I I try to do, and I urge urge other people to do. I I think I'm getting it. So so how's this sound? So if my boss is a jerk, what I'm really looking around is that he always goes to the guys in purchasing before he comes to me over in uh, uh, production, and before. I actually get any news on second hand, so I'm down. That's the process. The process is he's going to these other people first, and I'm left out of the loop or whatever. So that would be the process. It's not, I mean, being a jerk is a cut-off distraction, right? Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, think, think, of, think of it this way. If, if your boss uh-huh. is really, really difficult, and he's so yeah. difficult that he makes the process impossible, sooner or later he won't be your boss anymore, he or she will be removed because things have to get yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. So, so if it's so bad that things aren't getting done, then I, I think if you're just patient, things will change. But if things are still getting done um, right. and there's still progress being made, chances are it, within that process there, you can find the points where progress does get made and you can con- concentrate your efforts in that direction. Okay. And that's – now, you talk about – Putting your your uh, abilities in this in this direction. Uh, actually, the whole manage the process, as I understand it, has uh, a rather fascinating genesis from uh, one of the uh, one of your Wall Street cohorts. Right? Is, is that true? It, it, it does. This is. Uh, um, um, I was working with a gentleman who was a top salesperson uh, for right. one of the leading vendors to Wall Street firms, and he was someone that I was a, I was a, a, a customer of his and, and used to speak to him quite a lot, and he was he was clearly unhappy where he was working. He was making a huge amount of sales on behalf of the company that he represented. He was by all means uh, one of the most successful salespeople in his industry, in his business, uh, but he clearly was uh, not being appreciated by uh, the people that he worked for. They were questioning some of his uh, methodologies. They they didn't seem to uh, be appreciative of some of the big business that he had landed for the company, and he was always very, very frustrated. And one day I just said to him, the phrase came to me, I, I, I said to him, uh, uh, look, you know, you just need to manage the process. And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well seems to me there's a process around you, uh, how the company creates its products, how you go and sell those products, uh, how the clients interact with the company. You seem very focused on a couple of individuals who don't seem to appreciate you, but you're clearly successful. You're clearly talented. So focus on what you do best and focus on how to bring that to the business and, and try to Try to not focus on these other things, which which I do label as distractions, and that's where the phrase "manage the process" was coined. And so he he and I would converse in the future, and I'd say, "How's it going?" And he would say, "Well, I'm managing the process. I think it's working." <laughs> I can see this as a mantra. I can see this as a mantra as I sit before my desk each day. Keith, I am going to ask you, uh, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to ask you to listen for Keith's answer of what you do when you identify, you so I've identified this process and I've got it set. The next question leading towards career fulfillment is, all right, so now what do I do? 
And, uh, and we are going to get that answer, and we are going to get that the next time we have Keith on, which will be very, very soon, because this is a this is our first step toward career fulfillment, if you will. And I hope that you all will take it home and practice it. And Keith, you you uh, you've got to put this down on uh, a, a blog uh, or something like this. Is, is there something like that coming up in your future or not? Uh, yes, there is, as a matter of fact. Um, working on uh, a book right now. The title will be Within Your Grasp, um, uh-huh. and uh, hope to, to get some of these concepts down. And, and I, I hope that, that it helps people. I think sharing it, um, I think sharing it's a good thing to do, and uh, and, I, and I'd really like to see people feel more productive and feel that they're they're more fulfilled uh, and that they have less stress in their lives. Excellent, excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you all look out for that. And uh, you may, if you have questions about it, you may write info at bartsbook.com. And in the meantime, I'm afraid we're going to have to round out our show. And as we do that, I'm going to leave you with today's business quotation. And... Who is the person who said, practice does not make perfect, perfect practice makes perfect? And who is the author of that? And people know the answer to this one. This is a man who truly knew how to make a team practice exquisitely. And also, uh, as you remember, you may write in, if you have the answer to that quote, write it in to info at bartsbooks.com, then we'll announce your name in the air. Finally, as a parting shot in the words of my wife's husband, you could jolly well stand on the shoulders of giants and see absolutely nothing, unless, of course, you open your eyes and take a really hard squint. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it has been a privilege. I thank you. Goodbye.